0: Welcome to the Full Swing Podcast, the official podcast of the New England PGA. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Full Swing Podcast. I'm Nick Heidelberger, and today, Dave McAdams and I bring you another great guest, a man who has been behind the scenes on some of golf's biggest stages, including an all-time story as a rules official at the Masters. We hope you enjoy our conversation with past PGA of America president, Jim Remy. We are joined now by... The 36th PGA of America president and the current PGA of America employment consultant for the New England and Connecticut sections. And we're also going to get into a lot of the other things this man has done in the golf world. Please welcome Jim Remy. Jim, thanks
1: for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me. It's uh, it's great to be here. Um, certainly, uh, always a pleasure to do anything I can for the New England PGA and and its members. Um, You know, I'm a a big fan of the New England PGA and I've been involved for a long, long time. So it's it's my pleasure to be here and, and talk with you.
0: Great. Well, Jim, as we're getting started here, it's it's Friday of what was supposed to be Masters week. So rather than be sad that we're not watching the Masters, I want to go down memory lane with you just real quick. You've spent a bunch of years in the Masters in the early 2000s, uh, getting, getting pretty close to the action. What's your favorite Masters moment from from one of the tournaments you we were able to attend?
1: You yeah, know, that, that's a great question. Um because I did attend, I don't know, I guess 12 or 13 different Masters uh, championships. And uh, I had the opportunity to be on the rules committee while I was an officer. So for eight years, uh, I was on the the PGA rules committee um, that uh, attended uh, representing the PGA at the Masters. And, um, you know, there's so many great stories, obviously, uh, about the Masters. Um, uh, It'd be hard for me to just pick one I, I would say probably the, the the greatest experience I had was just being able to have the inside look at the entire Masters, to be able to be uh, in the clubhouse, to be able to be in tournament headquarters, to be able to be inside the ropes every single day, uh, to be there when the greatest players in the world walk by on, on your hole. Um, had some great stories as being a rules official. Uh, I can remember my first year. Uh, I was so nervous. Uh, being a rules official. Um, first year at the Masters, I'm not really a rules official. I'm an officer. And uh, they put me out on 17, handed me a radio and said, don't worry about it. Nothing ever happens on 17. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there I sat. It was a beautiful uh, afternoon and I had my jacket and tie on and I had my little chair off to the side and uh, and nothing was going to happen. And then all of a sudden we had this rainstorm. And so they suspended play. And when we came back, we got back underway, and I'm sitting in my seat thinking, this is great. I'm the rules official at the Masters, and I and I have nothing uh, to do here. And um, and uh, so all of a sudden, I, I watch a player walk up, uh, comes up on 17, and he's walking up. And there's a telltale sign when they're looking for a rules official, as you guys probably know. All of a sudden, their heads will start turning, and they're starting to look around for a rules official. So the player, and I won't tell you who, say who it was, the player's looking around. He sees me standing there off to the side in the woods, kind of hiding, trying to hope no one saw me. there. <laughs> so he, so he, he does the old finger, you know, points me over to him. And I walk over and the player looks at me and he says, I have casual water. And so you would think this was the most, the most difficult rules decision ever to be made. I was so nervous. I think I was shaking. <laughs> and I'm at the Masters. I don't want to screw this thing up. So I, I looked down and sure enough, there's some, it's wet, you know, it's wet. And and I said, so I, before I panicked totally, I says, well, you know, the drill, I said, let me see you take your stance. Uh, you know, if I can see some water coming up around the ball, uh, I'll be happy to give you relief. So he takes his stance, no water comes up around the ball. I said, well, you know, take your stance again and let me see. He takes his stance and he gets his position. I can't see any water. So finally, he says to me, he, he leans down, he points right behind the ball, and he said, he says, look, it's wet. And I said, well, of course it's wet. It just rained, right? <laughs> but I can't see giving you casual water. So he looked at me and quite pronounced, you know, profoundly looks at me, puts his finger right near my face, points in my face and says – and, and oh, I, I'm sorry, I said, I'll need, if you'd like, I'd get a senior rules official to help you. And he says, um, "He says no, I want, with his finger kind of pointing at me, he says, no, I want you to make the decision. So this was my oh. defining moment on the first day as a masses official. I want you to make wow. the decision. Do you give in to the player, or do you go with what you know is the rule? So I looked at him, paused for a second, and said, play on, turned around, and walked away. I was so nervous. I was shaking. My knees were shaking. Well, it ends up the player hits the shot, goes up about four feet and makes birdie. So, but it's a great story. Just the whole experience of being at the Masters and being out there. I mean, I've got numerous stories uh, being a rules official there that that actually some of them are pretty funny.
2: Jim, is that is that pretty is that pretty standard for PGA officers when, when you're there? I mean, it's you're obviously there at somewhat of a cer- ceremonial role where you're you're a leader in,
1: in the industry, but they, they put everyone to work while while you're on the grounds. Yeah, the the, uh, the Masters Rules Committee is made up of a number of uh, members from Augusta National who you know have the qualifications to be officials, and then they invite rules they invite officials, rules officials from the PGA, the uh, European Tour uh the RNA, uh the United States Golf Association, but they also uh invite officials from the PGA of America. And you know, I thought it was just one of those things where, you know, we're we just get invited and we get to hang around. But no, we actually have uh an assignment. Uh and the assignments at the Masters are interesting because if you get assigned the you know the fourth green uh, you go out to the fourth green when the first group goes through and you're there till the last group goes through. So you're out there, you know, eight, nine hours sometimes in the same spot, watching the same hole. And there might be uh, you know, two or three rules officials per hole, one in one in a landing area, one near a hazard, um, and one near the green. And, uh, you sit there all day. And so, you know, sometimes it's 90 degrees and sometimes it's 40 degrees. So it, it, it's a commitment and, um, they do give you a radio and they tell you that if, you know, it's anything that you don't feel comfortable handling, uh, then you call in a Rover and the Rover would be one of the experts from one of the major associations. Sure. <laughs> well, that's,
2: uh, I, I, I tell you what, any, with, with how you handle that situation, Jim, anytime you want to have a radio at one of our NEPJ events, we'd be glad to have you. Cause that's, uh, that's a, that's a pretty pre- pressure packed situation for a rules official, uh, you know, who may be a little bit un- uncomfortable, not expecting something like that. And, uh, I think, I think you handled it great. And, um, that's, that's a pretty cool story. Certainly uh, memorable for you. And I mean, we've, we've all heard some of the stories from over the years. I think there's, there's one at Augusta with Ernie Els, I think off number 11, where he hit one left into the woods. And I think a rules official wasn't, giving him relief and then they had a member come over you know a, a green jacket instead of a you know a black or a blue jacket who ended up I think over overruling the rules official, saying that something was piled for removal so you know it's obviously uh there's it's a certain uh certain type of place where where it's uh, you're a little bit walking on an eggshell so that's that's a really really cool story and good good for you
1: yeah, there are a lot of great ones. I had one on 13, almost very similar to that. I had it in an azalea bush. I was left of Ray's Creek. The ball was in the azalea bush and in the azalea bush was a long neck sprinkler that came right up through the bush. And so now you got to make a ruling because, <laughs> you know, he's, um, he's in this azalea bush. Does that interfere with his swing? You know, does, is he capable of making a relatively reasonable swing with that in there? Well, I uh, I basically was ruling um, that you know he had an unplayable he would have to take an unplayable lie. Uh, we called in a senior official. They ruled that he would have to take an unplayable lie. And then by the time they got to the third person who had a green jacket on, he had relief. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. it's just better when you don't have to be the one to, to make that decision. In, in those cases, when you don't necessarily agree with it, but all, all that experience down at Augusta, you ever get to bring the sticks? You ever, you ever tee it up down
1: there? Yeah, I've had the, uh, I've had the privilege of playing Augusta three or four times, I think four times. Um, there's a member um, at Augusta um, who's still there, who his job every year is to invite the officers of the PGA in in March to, to play And we went for I went, I think, four years in a row, um, got to play, stayed in the cabins, played the par three. Uh, It's it's an unbelievable experience. And really, honestly, it's a really fun golf course to play, especially if you play for the members tees. We're not playing all the way back, obviously. But when you play for the members tees, it's a really fun golf course to play. I mean, the rough is not severe. There's plenty of room to drive the ball. You know, the greens are tricky. Um, I remember pitching pitching from the right side of the green on 17. One time I was way down below my caddy was up on the green. Um, I hit this pitch shot. I was pin high and I hit this pitch shot up. And I thought, man, that's pretty good. That's going right towards the flag stick. You know, it's, that's going to be perfect. And all I could see was my caddy up ahead uh, on the green, shaking his head. And when I got up there, i had found out that the ball went up onto the green, turned left and went 20 yards off the front of the green. So that, that's the kind of stuff that. you deal with at Augusta. It's great. It, it's The greens are, are just diabolical.
0: Yeah. Do you have a favorite hole out there? Uh,
1: well, I'm, um, it's probably 16. Uh, I came within an inch of making a hole one on 16. Oh, um, it was just like tiger shot, you know, kind of hit up to the right and when and trickled down, trickled down, trickled down. And, and it stopped hat, one inch from going in. Oh, oh man. And, um, So I won the hole. I beat the other offices on that hole. That was good. That's good. <laughs> was, it was that traditional Sunday pin location. Yeah, it was, wow. it was actually the Sunday pin location. and um, it, it was amazing because we started on the back nine that day and we played the members tees and, uh, When I walked off 16, um, I was actually three under par on the back nine. Wow. And I had made three birdies and all the rest pars. And uh, I was thinking, this is easy. Of course I made be. bogey bogey to finish. I did shoot 100 on the back and then shot about 41 on the front, but that's <laughs> for, for a while
0: there you were thinking you could you might be able to win the Masters.
1: I was ready to sign up. I just want to know where <laughs> can I sign up? <laughs> yeah, you you still
2: be looking. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully you kept the scorecard. That's a that's a pretty neat uh that's a pretty neat memento.
1: Yeah, it is. And uh it was a, it was a great privilege and um, you know, I, I certainly want to thank—and uh, he'll never see it—but Gene Howard, who was there, our host, uh, one of the nicest men you'd ever met, and his father was uh, a charter member at Augusta, and he had been a member for fifty years. So, cool, real gentleman, real That's Southern awesome. gentleman.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, we let's let, let's go back to the early days of, of Jim Jim Remy. You're born in Lemonster. You know, I'm picturing a long-haired ski racer. Uh, you started Worcester Country Club under Ray LaJoy of Joy after his wife Coco fished the resume out of the trash. You go to Mount Pleasant under Art Harris. You know, what did you learn in those early years as a golf professional that propelled you on through your career?
1: Well, you know, I went through the traditional route, you know, business school, one business school two, uh five years as an apprentice. Um, I knew immediately when I got in the business. I was in the ski business and I, and quite honestly, I needed a summer job. So I got in the golf business and I started at Worcester and, you know, I knew immediately I loved it. I just, it was like the winter for me. I got to go to a skier every day in the winter. I got to go to a golf course every day in the summer and somebody paid me to do it. I figured it doesn't get any better than this. Um, so, you know, I, I, I can tell you what I learned from both Ray and from Arthur in five years as a, as an apprentice um, before I got my class A card was, you know, about service and about, um, membership and about treating people the right way and, and how important it was to run tournaments. And, you know, I'm one of these kind of a little bit old school, you know, I don't think what we do is rocket science. I think it's, if you're a good, if you're a pretty good player, you don't have to be the greatest player, but if you're a pretty good player and you can teach a little bit, um, and you got a good personality, you can be a golf pro and as long as you're an organized type of fella. And, you know, I learned as an apprentice and um, I didn't have any formal schooling other than our business schools. And, and I learned it all on the job. You know I mean? First week I got in there, it was, come on over here. We're going to show you how to re grip a club. Show you how to re, you know, whip one. Now get, now, now get the hundred bags out that we <laughs> got to get out for Twilight League. Um, I, I mean, I, I went to traditional route and I fell in love with it the first week I was in the business I worked for a great guy Ray Joy, and I had a great mentor in Larry Michael who was a great golf professional who passed away um you know I, I just I guess I learned it from the ground up and always loved it
2: so, so speaking of that's, that's great Whipple was you're you're dating yourself a little a little there
1: oh yeah today they don't even know what that means but we at the Whipple Club man you had to figure out how to tie it <laughs> off at the end it was awesome <laughs> it <was awesome>.
0: Sure. <laughs> so speaking of, of Ray and Art, you kind of seem destined to follow in their Hall of Fame footsteps, but probably nobody envisioned you'd not only end up in the New England PJ Hall of Fame, but the PJ of America Hall of Fame. How does it feel when I mean, you reflect back on this your start in the business um, to all the things you were able to accomplish?
1: Yeah, you know, I- it, it's all, I mean, I, I love what I do and I've love I've had an incredible life because of sports. And that's all I ever wanted to do was really just be in sports. And it ended up being in the ski and golf business. And I never, in my wildest dreams ever imagined I would have been the president of the PGA of America. I mean, it was just one of those things where I got started because of, uh, because one chapter officer asked me to participate and help and you know the next thing i knew i was the president of the chapter and then once i was president of the chapter I, and you know and finished that term i was like well i love being involved so what's next so it was to become a section officer and then or a section uh, board member and then section officer and you know the really one of the i think the first president of the new england pga to come from outside of eastern mass of rhode island so um it's just, I, I loved what I did every day. It wasn't like going to work. I, you know, I'm 65 years old and I feel like the last 45 years of my life, I just got paid to do what I love. And, uh, I never really saw it as a job. I just saw it as, you know, I'm, I get to do this and I can't believe they pay me and, um, you know, to be inducted in the New England PGA hall of fame. And then ultimately the, the PGA of America hall of fame is it's a tremendous honor. I mean, it, it you know, I, I, I'm humbled by it. I'm humbled by it, and but I, I think what's more important is is really, you know, that I did all those things. I achieved those things, but you know, like today, I'm a career consultant. I'm I'm an employee, just like you guys, and I love it. You know, I love what I'm doing. I love being involved, and 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 really to go from being the past president of the, of the association to to waking up one day and not having a purpose, like. <laughs> retired, I couldn't even fathom it. So I'm still involved. You know, I'm involved in a lot of different things, including on the, on the properties board. And, uh, um, I, you know, obviously now uh, being a career consultant, I, I attend any PGA board meetings. And, you know, I think, I, you know, I eat, drink and sleep PGA every day of my life.
2: Uh, I've seen it firsthand and that's, that's certainly accurate. And, and I think uh, the association is better off you know, because of it. And, and certainly us here in New England, we're, we're fortunate uh, with, with your, your experience and, and how you bring that to uh, all the meetings and, and you know, the governance here that you're involved in. Uh, let's talk about your time in PGA of America governance, you know, obviously getting involved at in any level of services about the people you're trying to help. What would you say your most impactful decision or initiative or idea was during your time as an officer of the PGA of America?
1: Well, the, you know, it's interesting because I've had a number of conversations with Susie Whaley now, you know, with what Susie's going through with COVID-19 and with everything that's taking place. I mean, I, uh, we made, there, there are a lot of decisions, a lot of changes that got made during the, the, the time that I was in office uh, throughout, through the four positions. Um, but most difficult time was certainly 2008, 9, 10 time when we were going, when I was in the office and we were going through that big recession. Mm-hmm. Similar to what we're going through now, we were we went through a recession similar to what the recession we're going through now, and and uh, with COVID nineteen, but yet we we didn't have COVID nineteen. We just had the bottom falling out, and PGA members were losing their jobs. And you know, I had to spend a lot of time trying to help PGA members, and I think that's what made me want to be a career consultant to be able to continue to help PGA members. So, you know, it was how we handled that entire situation during 2009 and 10. Um, I, I, I was blessed to have, you know, Brian Wickham in front of me as the president and then myself and then Alan Ranowski and all three of us were on the same page. Uh, we were member, member, member presidents. We, we made sure that, you know, the membership was always represented. Uh, we, we look, we realized that, the PGA of America is a huge business um, and it has incredible assets. And it's sometimes we're accused of being more like a corporation than an association. But as long as we have an elected president and elected officers who represent the members and make sure that members never get left behind, uh, I think that is the most important thing. And so my greatest moment really was after I was done, after I went out of office and I had you know, comments from PGA members, many, many comments from PGA members who said, you know, Jim, you you represented PGA members. You never forgot us and you never changed. And that's the best thing about your time in office is that when you got done, you were the same guy who you were when you went in. And that meant a lot to me because that's why I signed up. You know, first of all, I never thought I'd get elected, but, but I had people pushing me to do it. And including people like Donnie Lyons and Steve Navley and, and Jack Gale and so many, you know, great New England PGA professionals who I couldn't have got elected without. And, uh, and you know, so when it was over, I was still just one of the members. They still go to the chapter meetings. I'm still just one of the guys in the Vermont chapter, the greatest chapter in the greatest section in America.
2: That's probably my That's my favorite my favorite tagline. And you, and you say it all the time, and I think it's 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 awesome. You're never going to hear an argument
0: from us up here on that either. It is. It, I mean,
1: <laughs> we are – Danny PGA is very unique in that we have – we're modern in how we do things, but we never forget our tradition. We never forget why we're golf pros and, you know, what we do for a living. I think it's just – I think, you know, that's why our members play. That's why – You know, we have such an active membership, and and I think it's, um, I'm proud to be a member.
0: Yeah. Awesome. The, the, the service to the PGA professionals was, was a huge part. And obviously, you know, the motivation for you getting into that role, but obviously there were some front facing things that got to go along with it. Um, you know, being at the PGA championship in the, in the Ryder cup, handing the trophy off to Barton Kimer at Whistling Straits. You almost got an all Vermont ski guy uh, reunion, almost with Keegan Bradley winning the following year. What are some of your most memorable moments uh, from golf's biggest stages?
1: Well, there's two different, two different really thoughts on that. One is, is obviously, you know, I was, I, I was presented the Wanamaker trophy to Y.E. Yang and to Martin Keimer um, when, you know, Tiger was supposed to win on the last hole and Y.E. took him down and, and then the next year, we turn around, and it looks like Dustin Johnson's going to win. He he buries his club in a bunker, and 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 uh, the next thing you know, Martin Martin wins. But Martin Keimer and, and Y.E. have become friends of mine, and and they're they're wonderful people. They, I spend I see him every year at the Champions Dinner. We always sit together. Um, it, it's it's fun. Um, certainly, the Ryder Cup. Uh, being involved in the Ryder Cup and uh, working with Corey Pavin, uh, although we lost that Ryder Cup on the last hole on the last day. Uh, I was if you remember, it was Monday in the rain and mud and everything of Celtic Manor. Um, That was a tremendous experience. But you know the the greatest experience I had, believe it or not, was when I got to um, provide uh, present membership to the Black Pioneers, Um, the four gentlemen who never had the opportunity to become PGA members. at the, in new Orleans. And if you look that up online, it's a, it's a tremendous story and to see the family and what the families and what it meant to those family members of now deceased members who were kept out of the PGA because of the color of their skin, um, in the sixties, uh, it was unbelievable. So I always say that was my greatest moment. My greatest moment was the speech I gave in new Orleans. Um, when we presented the black pioneers with their membership, uh, posthumously and um, and to see the reaction of the family and to see the reaction of the, of the 400 people that were in the room that day. It was, it was uh, I, I think that's my proudest moment.
0: Can, can you shine a little light on the, the that story the background story and this is this is something I, I haven't heard about I'm sure a lot of the listeners uh, can kind of put together what you're talking about but can you can you give a little background on on the story and how that came to be
1: yeah well it came to be because um, you know the PGA of America identified it as something that had not been done and um, the uh, uh, they decided to do it and um and I was fortunate enough to, to, to be the person that did it. And they wrote a speech for me. And, and we ad-libbed the speech at the last minute where we where I apologized on behalf of the PGA of America for, you know, for these gentlemen not being able to become PGA members because of the color of their skin. And, and, and basically what it was is up until the 60s, I think, sometime in the 60s, believe it or not, there was a Caucasian-only clause in the PGA membership You had to be white in order to be a PJ member. And it took a long time to change and it took a long time to, 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 uh, to change that. So um, yeah, it's just, just proud to, to, be able to do it. It was a, uh, it was the right thing to do at the right time. It was brought to us um, um, by some of the family members and, and we got the right or wrong. So Oh, I think anybody great. that doesn't know about it should look up uh, Black pioneers uh, in golf and and uh, PGA, and they'll they'll find a great story. Definitely, that is a great story. I, I
2: I had known about about that. Obviously, the the situation with PGA, and and I knew about the pioneers, but I, I didn't realize that you were the one who actually uh, was were doing that presentation. That's that's a, that's a pretty cool story. And um, yes, that's I, I just learned something new. So that's that's awesome. Very yeah. very cool. Um, I've you know in my in my time uh, with the section, Jim, I've been fortunate to travel and visit some golf clubs internationally where I've actually seen your name on letterhead in, in a clubhouse, which is it's kind of cool when you're halfway across the world or you're you're in some you know some other place other than New England and you see a name that you know and, and it's kind of cool from a historical perspective. Uh, Bermuda for the you know the Grand Slam and then the K Club in Ireland, uh, which hosted the Ryder Cup. And, uh, some, you know, letters of thanks in the, in the clubhouse, which is, which is cool. Um, maybe talk about the game on a global scale and how you see it expanding or changing in the next five to 10 years.
1: Ooh, that's a good question. <laughs> you know, um, we're, we're going through so much in the world today that you wonder what it's going to be like when we come out of this and, and what it will mean, Look, golf has been around for a long, long time, and it's going to be around for a lot longer. Um, I think sometimes we in golf think or misunderstand that, you know, well, everybody should play golf. Well, probably not. That's not going to happen. Golf is not for everybody. Just like, you know, bowling isn't for everybody or just like uh, fishing isn't for everybody. Um, and I think, you know, as an, as, as an industry, we grew too fast. We had too many golf courses. Our golf courses out, you know, outgrew our 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 rounds. Uh, people are more pressed for time, so I, I see I see in the future. I think it's going to settle back a little bit, um, but it'll always be healthy. Um, you know, I I think we've seen on the net on the world stage. You know, the idea of having a new world premier league that doesn't seem to be getting any traction. You know, it's interesting, because if you look back over time, if you look back since 1916, the initials PGA have been at the forefront of the game. Sure. Whether it be the PGA Tour, the PGA of America, uh, you know, the British PGA, uh, you know, got very, you know, spent a lot of time with the GB and I, uh, PGA of Great Britain and Ireland. Yeah. Uh, spent a lot of time in Scotland and England. Um, you know, golfing will remain healthy. I think it, it just at some point we have to understand it's probably not for everybody. And we have to make sure that we only develop and grow within the needs of the game. Um, there's an old saying that I always tell people, you know, there was one grocery store on the corner and it was really successful. And then it was so successful that there were four other grocery stores that got built and they all went out of business. So, you know, you kind of got to stay within our means, uh, honor the, the traditions of the game, never forget the past, but always look towards the future. And I think we're doing a great job with uh, junior golf league. I think great job with drive, chip, and putt. I think those are tremendous programs. And when you look at it, drive, chip, and putt is really because of Augusta national and the PGA of America the United States golf association cooperation. When you look at, um, you know, junior golf league, uh, would not be where it is today had the pga america not taken it over so we still are the ones who drive the game we still the ones who sell the game we're still the ones who grow the game uh many of our members don't even realize that you know the pga america spends millions and millions of dollars every single year trying to grow the game and um you know so i think I, i think you know would i say that the the future is bright i probably would say the future is steady. Golf will be around. There're always going to be people who love the game. It may not be as big as we had hoped it would be, but I still think it's going to be something that people are going to do for it's a it's a sport of a lifetime. You know, it's the sport it's a sport of a lifetime. Totally totally agree and
2: and I think you've made a great point. There's obviously the common misconception with the words for the the letters PGA and the confusion for the the you know Average show golfer who doesn't, you know, they don't understand the difference between the two. And, you know, it's uh, there's a huge difference between, you know, what people who are professional golfers and playing on a P- PGA tour versus what, you know, PGA professionals, golf professionals do every, every day, which is the grassroots growing the game. And I think that's where, you know, people who are associated with the PGA of America can take a lot of pride because, you know, they are the ones who are growing the game and making sure that. Uh, it's something that you know everyone can enjoy if, if if they choose. You know, as you said, it's not for everybody, but uh, it's. I think it's thanks to the PGA professionals that have cultivated that and, and helped you know keep the industry uh, you know growing and, and steady.
1: Yeah, I've flown I've flown over a million, probably a million and a half miles in my lifetime. Uh, and you sit on planes, and you know you have a PGA logo on, and the first thing somebody says to you is, "Oh, are you with the PGA?" And you say, yes, I am. And they say, oh, God, have I ever seen you on TV? And I say, well, maybe, but, and they say, well, you know, do you play in the tournaments? And I I say, no. I said, that's, there's two PGAs. And they say, really? And I say, yeah, there's the PGA of America and the PGA Tour. And they go, oh, really? And I say, yeah, you know, the PGA Tour, that's 144 guys that you see on Saturday and Sunday. The PGA of America is the 28,000 club professionals who really run golf in this entire country. They're the ones who grow the game teach the game and play the game. And, you know, and, and I would go on to tell them what I did and they would be, and they, they really love it. So it's an education process. Um, you know, the PGA tour is awesome for entertainment purposes and for getting people to maybe be interested in, in golf, but it's PGA golf professionals who actually really capture their interests and then teach them to respect and, and, and learn the game.
0: Absolutely. And I've found that education process to be, to be pretty simple for the most of the people who, who have asked me in the last year or so, we've been in the role working for the New England PGA is, you know, the first question I get from, from just like family friends is, Oh, are you going to meet Tiger Woods? And I'm like, okay, so, so not that PGA, but you know, it, they, they definitely understand, you know, if you were to go look up a golf course and go down the road and, and go play, that's, that's the PGA professionals that we're working with. Um, Jim, you've, you've talked about it already on this call. Um, you're, you're real proud to be a Vermont guy and, and, and be involved with the chapter and the section levels. Um, do you want to share any of your favorite memories from when you were involved with the Vermont chapter and the New England section, working your way up through the ranks?
1: Well, I think, you know, just a message I give to young, young professionals about how to be successful. Cause I think we're a little bit today. We, we think about, well, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to get a degree. I'm going to get a PGM a degree, and then I'm going to get a great job. Um, And then they call me up and they say, I went to PGM school, I got my degree, and I can't get a great job. What should I do? And I try to tell, I try to teach young professionals, the most important thing you can do is get involved. Participate in involvement. Because my success totally came from getting involved at a young, when I was younger, with the local chapter. And then, you know, I I learned that if you participated and you became involved and you contributed, doors open for you. I mean, I don't care who you are, anywhere in this country right now, you know, there's still the importance of networking in our industry if you want to climb the ladder. There's no question about it. So. You know, the, the thing that happened to me was, and I'll never forget it, I, I was a young professional, first year at the Killington Golf Course um, in Vermont. I had come up from Worcester after spending five years in an apprenticeship, and I got the head pro job at Killington, which at the time was really, it wasn't a great job, um, but it was a head pro professional's position. And I knew I wanted to be a head professional somewhere rather than be an assistant because I figured if I get a head professional position, I can get a better head of. Pro- Professional, so i took this job and i got invited to a pro member down at um mount anthony in bennington vermont leo reynolds was a golf pro there then and i played in a pro member had a great time went to the dinner afterwards and then i walked over to the shop uh after the on my way out to the car i walked over to his shop to say thank you you know, for inviting me to his pro member. And so I walked in, I shook his hand. I said, Mr. Reynolds, thank you very much. You know, I really appreciate the fact that you invited me to play in your pro member. And, you know, I, I really uh, thank you for, for inviting me. It means a lot. And he said, well, that was very nice of you, Jim, to stop by and say thank you. And, uh, you know, let's stay in touch, okay? So I left. Two weeks later, two weeks later, I got a call from Leo Reynolds. And he said, hey, Jim, we just had one of our executive committee members leave the state and we need somebody to fill his seat on the board. Would you be interested in doing that? And I was like, Oh my God, you know? So that one moment in time, that one thank you changed everything in my life because I got on the executive committee. Then I became the tournament director then I became the vice president. Then I became the president. Then I became. Then I went to the section. Then I went to be the president of the PGA of America. And who knows that one moment? So then you got you to know, be a rules official at the Masters. And I, yeah, and so so I always say to young people, you know, keep in mind many times in your early career you're going to come to a fork in the road. Really think it out before you make that choice, because you want to make sure you take the right fork in the road, because uh, you never know. You never know what's going to come down later, um, you know. And then um, Jack Neville, uh, Tommy Tetro, Tommy who just passed away. Tom Tetro was the president of the section when um, when you know I first got on the board as a member from the Vermont uh, chapter, and you know, and Tom worked it out so that I get, and Kirk Sokolowski worked it out so that I got to go to an annual meeting. I got to go to the first, my first annual meeting in 1993, I believe, in Philadelphia. And uh, changed my life, changed everything. I called my wife from a payphone. You remember what those were? <laughs> I called my wife from a payphone to tell her that, uh, Darlene, this is, I got to tell you something. This is the coolest thing I've ever done. I can't believe what it's like to go to a national meeting. I'm going to come to every national meeting for the rest of my life. And wow. she said, Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Well, I haven't missed one since. So, wow.
0: <laughs> That's incredible, and what a just a, a great kind of lesson and mindset for for people to kind of take on. You know that that one little thank you going into the pro shop really kind of shaped the way. And I'm sure you are on that trajectory. It was just a matter of time. But uh, just those those little things, you you really cannot understate overstate how far those can go. So that, that's incredible. Yeah, Jim, this is this has been great. This is uh,
2: we're we're gonna we're gonna put this into our intern training manual. For, uh, for all of our interns that come through the NEPGA Junior Tour, these young college students who, you know, think they, they know everything in the world and are, are hungry and, and ready to go. And, and I think you've gave a lot of great insight and perspective as to, you know, what hard work and being passionate about something and, and uh, really dedicated it to it. So I, I can't thank you enough for your time and, and all the information and stories that you share with us.
1: Well, it's my pleasure. And, uh, you know, as I always say, good things happen to good people. Um, So be a good person and you'd be surprised, surprised what you can accomplish in life.